This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fit the Mission. There have been some silver linings to the COVID-19 pandemic. One of them has been the growing awareness that mental health is no longer a topic we can afford to sweep under the rug. There have been mental health reckonings across industries, including in professional sports. One of the biggest sports stories in recent years was about the greatest gymnast of all time, Simone Biles. In a stunning decision during the 2021 Summer Olympics in Tokyo, Biles withdrew from both the team and most of the individual finals to focus on her mental health. On one of the world's largest stages, Biles admitted she was not okay. It's been really stressful, this Olympic Games. I think just as a whole, it's been a long week. It's been a long Olympic process. It's been a long year. I say um, put mental health first so it's okay sometimes to even sit out the big competitions to focus on yourself because it shows how strong of a competitor and person that you really are rather than just battle through it. Biles cited tennis star and Olympic teammate Naomi Osaka as an inspiration. Other athletes have weighed in too in recent years, including swimming champion Michael Phelps and Clay Thompson of the Golden State Warriors. Thompson had to deal with back-to-back devastating injuries that kept him off the court for two prime seasons. It took a toll on the star guard, but he's been candid about breaking some of the taboos around mental health. If you were vocal about it, you were called soft. But nowadays, for for the better, we're seeing people more open-minded about their recovery, especially mentally, if coming off a big injury. Because I think that's the biggest hurdle is it's psychologically. Today on Fifth Emission, a deeper look at how the conversation around mental health in sports is evolving. I'll be joined by Chronicle Sports Enterprise reporter Connor Latorno and women's sports writer Marissa and Jemmy. How has the pandemic changed the way that athletes and sports fans are approaching mental health? And what does that mean for the rest of us? Connor, Marissa, welcome to Fifth Emission. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. So Connor, I'd love to start with you. You've been covering professional sports for some time now, but we're talking about another angle of athletics today, mental health. How novel is this topic in sports compared to maybe when you first started reporting? I will say it feels like it's become more and more of a topic just since I've been doing this professionally. I I covered the Warriors for six years, and I noticed in those six years, just the topic of mental health came up gradually more and more organically. You know, there were a lot of times where I'd start out reporting a story or I'd sit down for a sit-down interview with a player, not thinking the story was going to have any sort of relation to mental health issues, but then the players would open up about them and that would end up becoming the focus of that story. And I think that's because of a couple different reasons. You could say that mental health issues are on the rise. There's a lot of different studies that support that. I also think people are just more willing to open up about their mental health issues. I remember when I first started covering the Warriors, there were a few times when, you know, I'd get a player to get comfortable and open up. And then it would come to what was clearly a mental health topic. And he would just be like, I'm not going to get into that. Mm. And that doesn't happen 
as often now. Now, Marissa, this is pretty important, right? Because, I mean, for a long time, it seems like maybe professional athletes might not get as much empathy from people. You know, they make the kind of money, have access to resources that most people won't ever see in their lifetimes. But do you think maybe it's the pandemic that's made it easier for the public to relate to athletes in a new or specific way? I think what the pandemic did from a sports viewership and audience perspective is kind of made people a little more aware of some of the labor issues in professional sports, especially in women's sports as well, where they're already not making as much money. We see uh, some of the more individual sports, gymnastics, uh, tennis, we see mental health conversations going on a little bit as well. You look at someone like Naomi Osaka talking about her mental health and you see people talking on Twitter or whatever of like, oh, you're making all this money. How do you have mental health issues? But I think generally mental health conversation around not just sports has through the pandemic become more of a topic where people understand and the humanness of kind of everyone, including these athletes. But uh, definitely you still see a lot of insensitivities on social media and stuff like that. And I think that has to continue to get a lot better, honestly, especially around some of um, the women athletes who are really harshly criticized for just like trying to protect our peace. Well, Connor, Marissa just named Naomi Osaka as an example of an athlete who shared their experience. Another one is someone like NBA player Kevin Love. He also shared his experience with anxiety, depression, and stress. What has sort of been this snowball effect of having high-profile athletes like that start these discussions? Yeah, I think that anytime you see someone high-profile come out and take that leap of faith and share their personal struggles, it's going to automatically make you more comfortable with sharing your own struggles. It's just kind of a, a snowball effect. You've seen countless NBA players and other professional athletes come out and not only share their struggles, but get pretty in the weeds with them, you know, get pretty specific about exactly what caused them, how they dealt with them. You've seen that even recently with the Warriors. Clay Thompson's been very open about his mental health struggles while while he was coming back from his injuries. James Wiseman's been pretty open about all the issues he's dealt with and how he had to seek therapy uh, because he was just really struggling with being out for so long. So it feels like it's becoming normalized. And how has, you know, the NBA league or team managers, team executives or coaches have had to respond to these conversations happening? Our colleague, Ron Krojcik, has a whole story that gets into that. But basically, the league is is working on having an actual mental health designation. You know, you're, you can be out with a knee injury, you can be out with a sickness or something, but you can also now be out with mental health uh, issues. And there have been times where I know in the NBA, players have missed games for mental health reasons, and they just end up, the team would lie or say, you know, oh, yeah, he's dealing with a knee issue or something, which is not true. Let's let's be honest. Let's bring the conversation to the forefront. I know the Warriors have been kind of uh, at the forefront of this conversation in the league. They have a mental wellness room where basically players can go in there and just kind of meditate. They have different devices and games and stuff that are supposed to kind of ease your mind. And I know Steph Curry, for one, has has used that often. Uh, he's been pretty public about that. Mm. Now, Marissa, this is a good segue because we're talking about how mental health is now sort of being treated as an injury. But this leads me into a question about your recent reporting. You focus on the impacts of ACL injuries and specifically with women soccer players. Tell me more about that. 
I was kind of blown away talking to some women's soccer players before the season and how often ACL injuries came up, specifically when I was in Santa Clara and just talking to their goalie, Marley Nicholas, and she told me how she tore her ACL twice, and I was just asking her to go into it a little bit, and she was just so open about how, like, oh, I just kind of assumed it would happen, it's happened to all my friends, and I was like, that feels like a problem already, and then she started talking about the mental impact of that, and just the more I talked to people she put me in touch with and others about their experience, I was like this doesn't feel like a, a normal injury recovery process because for me the anxiety of kind of assuming it was going to happen to you just felt like a lot of pressure just that anticipation of like how am I going to handle when this happens not if and I was just really curious about just how are teams preparing for that how are medical professionals preparing for that how are they helping their athletes cope and it was interesting to see how much research had been done 40 percent of athletes who tear their acl deal with anxiety or depression effects later on and the fact that women's soccer players are tearing their acls uh, three to five times more than men's soccer players are that seems like almost an epidemic and a crisis in the women's game where orthopedic surgeons i talked to one just about how like they know it's there but like how do you treat that when that's not your field of expertise? You're doing the knee surgery and then sports psychologists just talking about doing what they can to help their players cope. But they're still so new to figuring out what to do there. But um, there is more awareness about just the long-term effects of being away from your teammates, especially during isolation periods during the pandemic, having your sport taken away from you. Mm -hmm. And aside from being more prone to ACL injuries, women also probably have to face the added pressure to be mentally tough compared to maybe their male counterparts, right? Yeah, there's some of that. I think a lot of um, the extra pressure on female athletes is there really aren't as many spots for them after college. So if their career gets sidelined, they lose their college years. Only There's only 12 NWSL teams right now for them to go to. There's only 12 WNBA teams. There isn't many pro options for volleyball or softball that pay a living wage. There isn't for hockey. Like There's already more pressure to make what you can out of your years, especially for even younger sports like gymnastics or figure skating, where you're kind of phased out when you're 18 or 19 or so. So I think that's a pressure of women's sports that really isn't highlighted that much. I really relate a lot of these mental health issues and sports to labor issues as well, because there are tangible resolutions to it that come from the labor movement in sports. And we're seeing that in the women's game. And I think as that continues to happen, some of these pressures for female athletes to power through or to uh, just like protect their careers a little bit, it won't be as severe as the effects we're seeing right now. So, Connor, Marissa just mentioned how recovering from an injury can be really isolating for an athlete. And you looked at the impacts of pandemic social isolation on sports fans, specifically high school sports fans. Your recent story looked at mental health from that lens. Tell me more about that. So my story gets at uh, the issue of fan behavior, specifically at Northern California high schools. There's been a bunch of incidents in the past couple of years uh, really since fans started returning to, to high school sporting events of racist taunts, fighting in the stands, lashing out at coaches. Just there was one incident in the Sacramento area of, of fans fighting an umpire after a baseball game. It's just kind of absurd behavior. And so I talked to a sports neurologist, actually, who got at the fact that mental health issues have been on the rise during the pandemic. There have been studies that you know, anxiety and depression have spiked by 25 percent 
people react to that differently. People handle those issues differently. For some people, it can make them a bit more on edge. They might be a little bit more quick to react or, or take things a little bit too far if they're, they have some of those underlying issues. And so that, that could be something that's at play here. One, one uh, CIF, CIF's the organization that oversees high school sports in California. And the head of the CIF told me that uh, he feels like it's a trickle down effect. You know, you've seen so many crazy instances of fan behavior and that, you know, social media makes this stuff so much more readily available. Anytime there's an issue, it's going to go viral on social media and it it almost kind of normalizes it in in a negative sense. And so fans see that and they think it's okay for them to, to act that way at uh, their son or daughter's, you know, high school game. And a lot of parents are putting more money into their kids' sporting events and sporting endeavors than ever before. You know, when you have that level of financial investment, you might lose sight of the fact that this is a high school sporting event. So I think there's a bunch of different layers to it. More with Connor Latorno and Marissa and Jemmy after a quick break. How are athletes considering their relationships to social media when it comes to mental health? Marissa will also share why there's extra pressure on female athletes. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With mental health stigmas being sort of broken down here in sports, it seems like maybe Gen Zers can be credited for this, right? They're pretty candid on social media talking about these issues. But at the same time, social media is also a source of pressure and anxiety for athletes. How do you both think athletes have to evaluate their relationship to social media these days, especially when personal branding is so important? I have talked to a lot of NBA players specifically who said that a lot of the issues they've encountered with, you know, maybe having a shooting slump or on-court issues, they feel like a much bigger deal just because of the type of vitriol they get online and, and on social media. And it makes everything so much harder to deal with. And so a lot of players will just shut down their social media in season because it doesn't do them any good especially if you're a really high profile player like Steph Curry or or Draymond Green you might have an assistant you know do occasional ads on your social media and things like that but you're not actively logging in and and checking the tweets about you and the messages about you because that's just going to ultimately distract you and probably have a negative impact on your game yeah i've been talking to um some mostly female student athletes recently for a variety of things about how much pressure they feel to be active on social media because of NIL and name, image, and likeness, which is still pretty new to the college scene. Athletes being able to make money off of 
their name, image, and likeness because at the end of the day, they're not being paid by the NCAA, even though they're producing so much money for them and they are the employees and the labor that's producing the NCAA. But uh, they have to not only perform well on the court, the field, whatever, but they have to perform on social media and have that audience so that they can make money. And again, a lot of these female student athletes are not going pro. So this is their only opportunity to make money off of who they are and, and their athletic ability. Like if you're a woman in sports, if you're a female athlete, you still have to be pretty enough. You still have to look a certain way, behave a certain way to be considered worthy of being a woman in sports and getting those sponsorships or even just not being harassed. There's a lot of pressure for these female athletes, especially college students who are most of the time younger than 22, 23, and they're being exposed like this and they basically have no choice but to do that if they are to profit off of their careers. Uh, I don't know what the solution to that is because it's really difficult and again, a labor issue at the end of the day and also an issue of... um just uh, misogyny in sports. And that's just that extra layer that uh, female athletes have to think about and does impact their mental health in ways it doesn't for uh, male athletes. Like, what is the cost of that mentally to perform a certain way and basically pick up a second job in the gig economy that social media has become between TikTok and Instagram reels and all of that? You basically have to perform extra labor on addition to your almost full-time job of being a student athlete. Yeah. And Marissa, I like that you're framing this as a labor issue. Also because, like, as journalists, having a social media following is important, too. And, Marissa, you yourself, you have tens of thousands of followers on Twitter. Many of them are very passionate sports fans. How do you navigate that yourself? A lot of filters. Um, I don't see about 85% (laughs) of the tweets sent to me on purpose because – they're not fun for a long time, especially when I first started out as a journalist. I got a lot of followers really quick, and I was 22, 23 years old, and there was a lot coming at me that was really overwhelming, and I didn't really know what to do for a long time. And three jobs later, now I just kind of ignore everyone. It's really mm. difficult because you do want to have that following, especially when I was a full-time freelancer for a long time. You have to have readers. You have to have editors paying attention to you. But at the same time, you have a lot of people, especially a woman in sports, someone covering women's sports, telling you constantly and giving you engagement, saying they don't care, which is really backwards. But um, yeah, social media is a really daunting place to be a journalist, to be a woman, like in general, uh, to be an athlete. I-, I can only imagine the platform that athletes have and what is coming at them. If being a woman sports writer has had me kind of have to alter my life because of the way social media has um, impacted me. Mm. And what about for you, Connor? For me, my role at the Chronicle has evolved recently. I was the Warriors beat writer. So in that role, I had to basically live on Twitter, it felt like, because you, you have to be on top of news. I was chained to my phone all the time. I tweeted dozen plus times a day, just updating on the Warriors and things like that. And honestly, I found over time that it was taking a toll on my mental health. Like it was just not only the negativity that's on there, but just the need to be attached to your phone all the time, the need to live in that world all the time can be all-consuming. Since I've moved into my enterprise role, I don't think it's nearly as necessary for me to be on social media. I basically just tweet out my stories now, and I spend very little time. I actually deleted Twitter on my phone recently, and it's been it's been good for me. Mm-hmm. Now, the through line for me, with both of your recent reporting, is just with mental health and sports, it's kind of like taking athletes off this pedestal, not thinking that they're these immortal people who can just tough it out through anything. Has this sort of growing awareness 
change the way that you both think about covering athletes and sports as you look ahead? That was one reason I keep relating this to a labor issue because I feel like a lot of mental health discussions are so abstract. There's a lot of talk of conversations or awareness when like when you're dealing with these issues, you already are aware. You know what's happening. You need tangible results and tangible help. And I think we're getting to a point where for athletes and especially for just like women with everything happening in the country, like there are asks of what can happen to fix mental health. So I think a lot of the conversation needs to really be directed more towards resources and tangible solutions more than the abstract. And I think that general audiences are starting to find that as well, and it's helping the relatability. And what about for you, Connor? How do you think about this issue as you pursue your reporting in the future? Yeah, I think any good journalist needs to lead with empathy. You know, you need to enter every interview, every story subject with an empathetic heart, you know, try to put yourself in those those people's situations. And, you know, when you do that, you're going to you're going to get the most out of them. You're going to you're going to be able to tell the best stories. So that's always really been the case. But I will say that since this topic has become more and more prevalent, I've just found myself needing to be extra careful in terms of how I handle these stories, because when you're dealing with issues that are that sensitive, you know, you just need to be wearing extra gloves, you know. My editors would point out and say, hey, you know, make sure that you use this word instead of this word and and little things like that. Words always matter in our industry, but they really matter when we're dealing with these types of subjects. Well, Marissa, Connor, thank you so much for this. This is a fascinating topic and I appreciate both of your reporting that you guys both handle with so much care. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Marissa and Jemmy covers women's sports for The Chronicle, and Connor Latorno is a sports enterprise reporter. You can find The Chronicle's special report on mental health and sports with stories by Marissa and Connor, as well as by Chronicle sports writer Ron Krojcik at sfchronicle.com slash sports and on The Chronicle app. Thanks to King Kaufman for editing the episode and to you for listening. <laughs>